The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Don't be quarrelsome. That's what Paul writes to Timothy and any other pastors who have read or heard his words since. Don't be quarrelsome. It is very easy for anybody, but especially for those who deal with truth claims and the things of God for a living, to get sometimes caught up in everything. To have everything that comes before you become a matter of life and death, a matter of confession, a matter of here I stand. We sometimes fall into the trap of majoring in minors as pastors. Whenever this happens, it has a negative effect. First off, it sidetracks from the things that are actually important, the things that actually do matter. It's a distraction from Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's also a bad witness. When pastors spend their times among each other and with anybody that comes across their, their just they happen across that day to just want to argue about stuff, to pick a fight over everything. And in the end, such behavior, such a way of being has this negative effect. It keeps people out and drives people who are already in away. And that's why Paul takes the time to say, don't be quarrelsome. Don't be argumentative. Don't go hankering for a fight every opportunity that you have. Don't drive into that ditch. But at the same time, there is another ditch. There's always two, aren't there? There's another ditch to be aware of as well. Some people, in overreacting to a type of person or a pastor who is quarrelsome and likes to argue, some people see that and then they just run in the opposite direction. They see him fighting over this, that, and the other, never letting an opportunity to engage with somebody in polemical debate go past, and so they overreact against it. Lest they become themselves argumentative like those quarrelsome pastors, the verses about God being love and judge not lest you judge and turn the other cheek becomes their personal mantra and definition for Christianity. And they themselves personally become always, it seems, the paths of least resistance to anybody, friend or foe. If somebody has a strong opinion and insists on their way in the church, well, let them. It's the Christian thing to do. We don't want to, after all, be quarrelsome, do we? And finally, instead, though, of searching for truth, they are always themselves searching for a middle ground, 
You have somebody over here and someone over here. We must find the spot in between. And that must be the happy place where we should live. Surely, that is the correct position. But the thing is, it isn't. This attitude, all it is, is just the other ditch on the other side of the road. And it is equally destructive as the quarrelsome man. It keeps people out who could come in, and it drives away people who are already in. So the question should be raised. What's the right spot? Where should we be? Who should we be? What is the straight and narrow? What posture should pastors and indeed all Christians assume in matters of truth? Well, the answer, of course, like it is with all other things, is not to look at somebody who's doing it wrong and then just react to them, but rather it's to look to the Lord When Jesus met sinners, people crushed by the law, he did not nitpick. He was not argumentative with them. By the same token, Jesus, when he interacted with the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, he was no pushover either. What did Jesus do? In both circumstances, and indeed in all, Jesus confessed the truth. He clearly, confidently, and consistently said what was what, without qualification, without holding back. Now, he was neither unnecessarily quarrelsome, nor was he some sort of amorphous chameleon blob of a person that just sort of conformed himself into whatever the crowd in front of him expected of him. Jesus Christ said and did during his ministry what was right. That's what he did. He conceded if there was something that was unnecessary or untrue, let it go. But he stood firmly on what was necessary and what was true and would not let it go. Jesus knew something, some things don't matter. And we can wipe our hands and walk away from them. But he also knew that other things were necessary and even essential to defend. He knew it, and he practiced it, and he showed us how we likewise should live and respond to people, which brings us to the Reformation. Our beef with the Roman Catholic Church was not petty disagreements about small, minor details. Rather, it was a fundamental divergence on the important things. Is the Bible... God's word, the final authority in the church, or is it a man or men and councils and popes? Are we saved purely by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, God's son, or not? That's the fundamental basic question of the Reformation. These questions and their implications are the base of what this day and indeed this church and denomination are all about. Sure, there were then and there have been since some side issues that have divided us with other Christians that we can, in good faith, let go. We can, so to speak, turn the other cheek on those things. We cannot be quarrelsome about them and be all right. But these questions, the authority in the church and how we are saved, 
They're essential. And knowing the answer, we can't budge one bit. We must, like our Lord, confess and defend. Now, that's not just because we as Lutherans don't care about broader Christian unity. We actually do care very much. With Jesus, as he did in John's Gospel, we pray, I do it in various words every Saturday and Sunday, we pray that the church would be one. We would get over ourselves and our divisions and all of that unnecessarily divides us. No. We have not a complex about being right, though. We are separate, not because we just think we need to be Lutherans, but really because, finally, we care about God's truth. We confess and defend doctrine because it is God's truth. It is his revelation of life and salvation. That's why we care about these things. That is why we confess and do not budge on these things in the face of other Christians who say, well, let's just try and find that middle ground between our two groups Call it a day and we can all go along and get along. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And also, he that believeth shall be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. So anything, any one, any person, any confession, any church body which contradicts this, or obscures it, is necessarily not of God, is not being led by God's Holy Spirit. They must be refuted. They must be contradicted, publicly said, that's wrong, this is right. Otherwise, we go astray ourselves, and we indeed do lead others with us. You see, we're not Lutherans because our parents were, or our grandparents were, or we really just like the location of North Forth and Hickory Street, and that's the church that happens to be there. And we're not Lutherans just because we don't like some things about the Roman Catholic Church. See, we're Lutherans because we are Christians, and we want to be Christians and not have anything added to or taken from, away from, that fact. Because we want to know and believe God's truth and his word, we are Lutheran. Christian unity is a good thing. We ought to strive for it. We ought to pray for it. We ought to, insofar as it's within our power, work for it. But not at the cost of the pure confession of God and his holy truth. Though we should not engage in pointless, quarrelsome, minutia debates, we also should not ignore or just paste over real, fundamental differences which separate us from other people that bear Jesus Christ's name. The cost is too high. There's far too much at stake. And the truth is too important, this truth, that Jesus Christ saves and him alone. So as heirs of Martin Luther and his Reformation, today let us praise our God who made us, our God who redeemed us, and our God who sanctifies us.
on this Sabbath rest, gathered together to hear his word, to receive his absolution, on this day that we celebrate Christ's rising for our justification, let us together confess the hope that we have. The Son has freed us, and we are free indeed. Let us confess that popes and councils which have erred and have contradicted God's word hold absolutely no sway over us and our faith and our conscience. We are the Lord's by faith. We are his alone. And by his grace, we are his forever. Amen.